So we're talking about grain sorghum production, but in Maryland, what? Yep, that's right. That and a whole bunch of other questions are going to be addressed with uh, Extreme Ag member spotlight on Greg Dell. Greg Dell, a member, that's who we're talking to about Maryland agriculture and some cool things he's doing that you might actually take a lesson from in this edition of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast where we cut your learning curve with insights you can apply immediately to your farming operation. This episode is presented by Loveland Products. When it comes to crop inputs, you need products that are field proven to deliver both results and value. For more than 50 years, Loveland Products has been providing farmers with high-performance, value-driven product solutions designed to maximize productivity on every acre. Visit lovelandproducts.com to see how their innovative products can help you farm more profitably. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. I've got Greg Dell, who is an Extreme Ag member, hanging out with me. He is in uh, Westminster, Maryland. Yeah, Maryland. Well, you know about Maryland because Temple Rhodes, an Extreme Ag guy, is a Maryland farmer. In fact, I just saw last month, Greg, while I was at Temple Rhodes Field Day. I saw him the month before that at an event in South Dakota. I keep seeing this guy. I like talking to him. He's got some cool stuff to share. And I said, let's come on, record an episode and share that with all these people. What's your farming operation look like, Mr. Dell? We grow corn soybeans like your everyday American, but we grow sorghum and then we uh, buy and sell grain at our elevator that we have here, uh, which was started in the early 80s. We, My grandfather and his brother bought it from another set of brothers that were had started the elevator and they had all moved on. They had actually kind of gotten themselves in a tight spot and we took over and things have blossomed from there. Okay, so how involved are you with the elevator? Uh, with the elevator, I'm obviously here for any kind of maintenance or fixes or leaks or all that kind of stuff. But my dad is who takes care of the marketing, uh, you know, keeping the grains and all that stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm more of the field guy, kind of stay out in the, in the field and making decisions out there for the farming operation. You're a young guy. You're not even 30 yet. You're 29 years old. So tell me, take me from, uh, take me from, okay, growing up, you were around the farm, you were around the grain elevator. Did you go to college? No, sir. So you, no. Did you come back when you were 18, you got out of high school and said, I'm ready to go to work or what'd you do? So that was kind of part of the deal. I guess I broke old. I was older, oldest in my generation. Um, and I did not want to go to college, but my dad uh, kind of made it a rule that we go somewhere. We either work somewhere or go to college. And uh, so I went and worked for a local farmer. It's about 12 miles away, a larger farmer, and worked for those those guys for three years. Uh, I learned a lot. It was a great experience. I learned a lot about farming, but I also learned about, a lot about being an employee and, and working for someone else, and that was huge. So uh, that's kind of the, the start. And then I came home, and it's going from there. Yeah, it's tremendously valuable, uh, that growth that growth phase. You know, the difference between age 18 and 21 is only three years. But if you do it right, it's about 10 years of growth and maturity that happens there. So that's that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, so there's the grain elevator. 
And you had said previously that there's not as many grain elevators out in your part of the world as there are like in the Midwest. So you've got a bunch of loyal customers, but it's this it's still a very conventional operation. They bring in their stuff, you put out the bid, you buy their stuff, you process it, clean it, mix it, blend it. Usually take the crummy stuff and blend it with the good stuff so you don't have a problem, put it on a train, pretty much, right? Yeah, that well, we we don't really uh in this area because of our we have an abundance for use. So we don't we don't load trains or our delivery is to an end user, um, which is um, great because we have a strong basis for all of our crops. Um, they, I shouldn't say all go to an end user. Some of a, a lot of our soybeans go to an export uh, yeah. facility, but pretty much everything else goes to an end user and, and it gets ground to flower feed or, you know, yeah, Something so like because you, you know you're nearer to population. Now, by the way, we say that all the time. I mean, I'm in Indiana. Fort Wayne's three hundred thousand person town, and it's twenty miles up the road, or it's ninety miles to Indianapolis, which is a one and a half million. So, the, pretending that out here in the Midwest, we're just like totally. It's, this ain't Western Nebraska, right? This isn't. This isn't right. the hinterlands of uh, of the you know the Western Plains. But you are even closer to population than we are. And more importantly, you're closer to lots more people on the East Coast. So you say our stuff goes a lot of times to end users. That's for human consumption food in many cases. Yeah, and, and human consumption and, and, and food and uh, animal consumption. There's a lot of chickens. Uh, I'm sure Temple's mentioned a lot of chickens in his area, which Temple's about 90 miles from me. Uh, we, we feed a lot of those chickens as well, broilers, layers. Uh, there's also a lot of cattle, a lot of dairy cattle still in the area. The number of farms is dwindling, but the size of the operations are growing and, and they need feed. Yeah. So uh, on some of your purchases that you're making from your customer base, is it food grade you know, food grade, uh, you know, crop, food grade commodities that you, you know, is there different stuff or you just, you know, versus normal number two yellow corn, are you bringing in stuff that's for corn chips or something like this? <laughs> well, we don't, we don't have, we used to have that market uh, that in particular, there was a corn chip, uh, corn flour facility, not far, but they uh, have since closed up, but there is actually a high uh, value market for dog food, yeah. which they, they have very stringent uh, requirements as far as uh, quality. So if, if we can hold good corn and, and get good corn in, you know, we can, we can capitalize on that market as well. But there's also those chicken feed facilities that don't quite uh, have as stringent quality uh, requirements. Well, uh, barley, doesn't a lot of barley go to pet food? And are you in that trade at all? So barley and wheat, both actually, uh, and we do buy barley. We don't grow any ourselves. We, we haven't grown any for several years, but we do buy a decent amount and we get a lot of barley in for, uh, you know, for that. We sell it to those markets as well. Understood. So, all right, I want to hear all about the grain sorghum because that's an interesting thing. But before I do that, so a few things that are different. Remember, farm people like to know what's similar, what's different. What's different where you are is you're closer to human population. You've got, as you said, there's there's less crop production in mass right. where you are. So most of your stuff doesn't hop on a train and go uh, away. It stays there for, for consumption, human or livestock consumption. Um, yields are, I mean, your yields are as good as they are. I mean, you, you, Temple has some really good yields, so your ground is fine, right? 
Yeah, well, we, we have a lot of varying soil. We have rolling hills like where Kelly Garrett's from. Um, you know, uh, they're a little more cut up by trees and such things, but uh, we have a lot of variant in a very short uh, distance. We have extremely heavy red clay soils to the north on the Pennsylvania line that we form. And then you get to our home base uh, here in central Maryland, and we have very sandy loam soil. So we get the whole spread of it, and that's the, the best part of out of our area because we can still capitalize, it seems like anyway, whether we have a lot of rain or a little bit of rain. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the gist. Got it. And how many total acres are farmed with the Dell farming operation? Uh, we farm about 2,500 of our own and then probably another six or 700 of custom work that we do all the work for. Got it. And then you've got the grain mill. So how did this whole uh, grain sorghum thing come up? Because remember, grain sorghum is supposed to be raised. There's so six, there's six and a half million acres of grain sorghum in the United States. I, I, I know I talked to a grain sorghum guy. And it's in Kansas and the Panhandle of Texas and a little bit in Oklahoma. Basically, it's where you're supposed to grow these this stuff. Why are you fooling with it up there in Maryland? So grain sorghum was posed to us probably six or seven years ago. We were looking for we were looking for something different. Uh, we had kind of stopped growing small grains, um, and it was posed to us as a crop that deer don't like to eat. Well, mm -hmm. it goes along with the heavy population. We also have a lot of uh, wood-laden areas, uh, development, things like that. And because of that, we have a lot of deer pressure in certain farms, pretty much every farm anymore, but some farms are worse than others. So anyhow, we uh, look into this grain sorghum thing, and sure enough, we have almost no deer pressure as far as uh, eating when it comes to uh, planting the screen sort of. What's interesting is there's, there's people that are not ag people and it's like, oh, we love seeing the deer and like, yeah, you know, and I hunt deer and all that, but there's, there's a lot of non-comprehension among the suburban types of the amount of damage. You're talking about like grazing, like having a, a flock of sheep out there grazing. I mean, they beat the hell out of uh, the corn yields and edges around the farm where I was raised because you've got a ton of woods and wildlife property around there. And so this becomes the feeding ground. So you lose about, you know, you lose an acre or so. Yeah. And there was a, and one farm in particular that we've grown sorghum just about every year since we've done it. Um, there's a 15 acre field on this farm and about six or seven acres of it. And when it's in corn will be a zero when you're yeah. harvesting because of, of the deer. So one thing you need, uh, Greg, if you're going to have any commodity production, you need the infrastructure. You know, you can't have a you can't have a cotton gin with no cotton acres. You can't have cotton acres with no cotton gin. Where does the grain sorghum go? Where's the infrastructure? Because that's the thing uh, that you need. And you you told me about this, and I think it's pretty cool how you came up with this idea. Besides the deer pressure, there's another reason you're growing sorghum. Well, we have the we have the facilities to we have the facilities to store it and store it separate um, because our system is older. We have a lot of smaller bins, but there's a huge market for bird seed um, in just to the north of us. It's not super far away. Uh, we have three facilities that we work with, and they they uh, take it. You know, we we seem to grow some pretty sorghum. They really in, 
like the sorghum that we send them, obviously we don't grow enough to supply their demand. So they get uh, sorghum in like you're talking about that comes in on rail and they they prefer us to bring them sorghum that's closer, it's a little cheaper and uh, it's a great market for us. Yeah, so bird seed is where your stuff goes. So uh, the acres that, of the 2,500 that you own and farm on your on the Dell Acres, how many of them are gonna be in grain sorghum in 2023? This year it's 200. Yeah, and you're gonna grow that next year, increase that, At least, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we kind of work it into the cropping system because it's very similar corn um, and we'll, We'll uh, jump it back and forth between corn and soybeans on some or sorghum and soybeans on some farms, uh, just to keep rotation. But uh, yeah. it works out very well. Yeah, you cut uh, out for a second, but your point was it's very similar to corn in, yeah. in terms of yep. the nutrients and the and and its cropping in, in general. And, so true. and, and yep. by the way, you plant it just like corn, right? We plant it in 30-inch rows. Uh, we plant it. It's a little thicker population, um, but it's a the seeds cheaper. Uh, so we plant, we've been planting around 70, 60 to 70,000 seeds per acre. And, you know, like I said, the seeds a little cheaper so that the, the, the price still ends up being cheaper per acre planting costs than corn. Got it. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to get back to, uh, some more things about your business because I think it's kind of cool. Um, Tim always talks about you know the differences out there, but I I want to find out how how real that is. Before I do, I want to ask you, dear listener, about your fertility. Uh, you work hard at keeping your fertility fertility levels up, but if fertility is unavailable or underutilized, you are wasting money. Loveland Products, industry leading biocatalyst products, including Titan XC Extract and Accomplish Max, release fertility for healthy, high yielding crops. I'm talking about you getting fertility value out of the fertility that's already there out of residue out of the soil and making it available to your crops visit lovelandproducts.com to increase your results okay is it really that different in maryland temples out here all the time oh you just wouldn't even know you couldn't even do what you do temples likes to carry on about stuff and it's just it's so different is it really all that different greg it it really is. I would. It's different everywhere, but Maryland has has its own challenges. Uh, on our side of the bay, we are rising into the Appalachian Mountains. We farm with a lot of rocks. Uh, I'll never forget one of the first time Temple was over here. We were looking through a soybean field. We dug up a soybean plant, and the the plant it's the roots of the plant had several decent sized rocks. <laughs> intertwined and it was something that he's not even used to um, uh, which to that point you know it's different everywhere he's only 90 miles away but he's on the other side of the bridge uh yeah. we we have uh relatively low ccs and and uh different management practices because of our chesapeake bay area that temple always talks about and well now are you as close are you as regulated on bay issues meaning it's all about the runoff and it is you know and, and the thing is we as agriculture people should probably admit we probably did have some problems 30 40 years ago and we did harm the bay i mean there, there's some there's some re we're, we're, we're not saying epa come and bang on us but we're also saying yeah we did some bad stuff wrong we've certainly corrected it are you as heavily regulated as, as temple is yeah, we, we are under the same nutrient management guidelines because okay. we are in the state of Maryland. That is, that's a statewide thing. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, I, 
I know just in my short time doing this thing, we have learned a tremendous about about fertilizer fertility in general um, and how to apply it and do a better job at it. And I, I equate a lot of that starting with the nutrient management program. So I think it's neat. You just segued right into my next topic. You said, you know, you're a 29 year old guy, you're forward thinking, you work for the neighbor farming, large scale farming operation for three years. You learned some things there about business, about working for other people's about farming in general. You brought it back now to the family agribusiness. So answer me this. One of the things you also did, you joined extreme ag as a member paying member. What has been one thing that you have gleaned or one practice that you have changed or something that you're like, because of what I've done with Extreme Ag, seen, learned, listened to, seen Damien talking to the farmers, seen the guys in the fields, been to one of the meetings. What? Give me a couple, one or two big takeaways that you've gotten from XA and how it's helped you. Oh, probably the number one thing that I would say specifically from Extreme Ag and there probably is two, and I'll touch on the second one, but the number one thing is pay attention to your crop. Your crop is gonna to be totally different than the next guy's crop, even right down the street. Pay attention to your crop, pay attention to your soils, pay attention to all that stuff, because you even like my family, we've been farming a long time, but well, we've been farming different than the neighbor, and our soil is gonna be different, and our management practices are different. So I've done more of, not necessarily not listening to the guys like Kelly and Temple and Chad and Matt and all those guys. Not It's not that I don't listen to them, but instead of saying, oh, well, they're doing this, I need to do that, maybe take a nugget from what they're saying and try to apply it to what I'm doing instead of just doing it. Yeah. Um, and number two, not to cut you off, but the number two thing, and I, I should definitely touch on this, is 100% meet people talk to people just like talking with you i mean we i've i've gained a lot of valuable relationships yeah there, there's something to that you know it can be a fairly insular and insulating business um and in in many cases in agriculture the people right down the road from you resent you or are hostile or you know are mad at you because you farm 80 acres that they thought they were supposed to get or some some silly stuff like that so talking to people um and the networking aspect of this also it feeds your head uh, you're, you're 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 thinking about stuff that lee lubers talked about in a video that you're thinking oh crap i i gotta tell you what i never thought of that so i, I think that's mm -hmm. the good part there uh all right you're you're a young guy uh you're you're assertive you've got uh you you know you go to events you're trying to learn uh stagnation is slow death take me uh business plans no uh do you have to have it all figured out no but just take me a year or five or ten down the road and tell me where things are going to go for greg dell so i hope to i hope to continue to grow and continue to do better with what we have a lot of guys and i think even he i know even even in my own mentality always wanted to farm more, farm more, farm more acres, things like that. Well, I've definitely made a U-turn in that. I want to do a better job with what we have, better job with the acres we have, pay more attention to even the rented acres. I mean, you know, a lot of guys consider rented acres throwaway acres or, or things like that. And I, I don't, I don't agree with that fully because there's always more potential there. It's just those things and and i i believe that i'm on that right path i think i have a lot of good mentors that are taking me there and and i just i guess 
business plan mentality. My, I hope to do better with what, just do better in general with the acres and ground that we cover now. So you're going to grow some, yes, but you want to make sure you're not. Uh, and I agree with you. That's been that's been a thing. It's just a mindset thing. I'm going big, 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 big. Okay, you're doing a C minus. You're getting a C minus grade on on your aspiration uh, when it's all focused on big. Why not get an A grade and uh, progress a little a little more at the right pace, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just keep keep the keep the going up instead of you know, plateauing and, and grow, growing acres is not everything, in my opinion. One tip, one idea, one practice, one habit that you fully recommend, since we are in the business of, uh, of sharing ideas and information and insights, one practice, idea, innovation, uh, habit, something that you do that you think that others should consider. Uh, it could be probably, personal. It could be personal or professional. Whatever. You, I'm giving you free reign here, buddy. Well, wow, that's a that's a big one. Uh, don't go to sleep with your boots on. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, uh, I mean business wise, I guess ag wise, uh, agronomy, agronomy wise, the biggest thing that I've changed in our operation in is try things. Don't yeah. be afraid to try stuff. I mean, as you and I talked before we got on the line, we're harvesting some soybeans right now. We plan group two maturity in the beginning of April, and that is way out of line for this area. But we continue to try and do different things to, to just see what happens. You're not going to know. You can speculate all you want, but you don't know until you absolutely do it. Yeah, I like that. And so, yeah, you you went with some really aggressively early stuff. Is the is the was the reason for trying it that you space out your season? What was the re what was the reason you told yourself that you wanted to do this? Yeah, so we, as I talked about, we're we're on average we harvest a little more than three thousand acres a year. It's usually between thirty one to thirty three hundred, and we do that with one machine. And my thought was when I first came home, here we are planting all these soybeans and all this corn that are very close maturity and everything's ready at the same time uh -huh. well let's let's spread that out let's let's do a little bit down the line i, I don't care if i start in beginning of september and don't end till the beginning of december but at least we're not crammed and everything's ready at the same time and that and that ends up costing you bushels but that's a whole nother agronomic. Uh, yeah, problem. right. Well, the idea is you, you're experimenting with it to see if it if it puts a little more space on your time. And and uh, see, then it, it frees up uh, more man hours and, and uh, all that sort of thing. That's cool. I like it. So his name is Greg Dell. If people want to find you, where do they find you at? He's an Extreme Ag member. Yeah, I'm Extreme Ag member. Uh, I have a Facebook. I'm not on it a whole hell of a lot. I'm on Snapchat a lot. Uh, I got it. <laughs> I Snapchat a lot with got a lot of followings on there, but, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat, I'm on there a lot and I like to be at a lot of events. So you'll find him at one of our extreme ag field days or commodity classic or wherever you might see the extreme ag folks moving forward. So next time it's been a cool member spotlight. Thanks for being on Mr. Dell. Thank you, sir. Till next time this extreme ag's cutting the curve. That's a wrap for this episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. But there is plenty more available by visiting extremeag.farm. For over 50 years, farmers have turned to the proven lineup of crop inputs offered by Loveland Products. From seed treatments, plant nutrition, 
adjuvant, and crop protection products. Loveland has the complete lineup to keep your farming operation productive and most importantly, profitable. Check out lovelandproducts.com to learn more.